0: On July 20th, 1973, before I was even a twinkle in my father's eye, I might add, Hong Kong, China, the movie world and the martial arts world was rocked and shaken by the death of Bruce Lee. He was just 32 years old. He was in the prime of his life, insanely ripped. He didn't have a six-pack, he had an eight-pack. He was in the peak of physical condition, and he was on the cusp of superstardom. And yet on that fateful day of July 20th, 1973, he was found dead. After complaining about a headache and lying down in a bed to rest. Now, of course, the rumors and the conspiracy theories were flying about how he died. You know, he was, he was poisoned by the triads, or he was poisoned by some of the traditional Chinese martial arts masters who didn't want their secrets being revealed to foreigners. He'd been struck by a dim mak death touch, which can kill you hours or days later. I can show you that one later if you... If you need. But his real cause of death was, was actually far less sensational. He had died from a cerebral edema, swelling of the brain, uh, which was caused by an allergic reaction to um, a compound in a painkiller he'd take. <clears throat> Just four or four and a half years earlier, Bruce Lee had written a handwritten note to himself, which he titled, My Definite Chief Aim. And you can see this handwritten note, it's still preserved. I think it was auctioned off for some insane price recently. But it's in his own beautiful handwriting. And he wrote this note to himself. And here's what he said. In, in his own words, I, Bruce Lee, will be the first highest paid Oriental superstar in the United States. In return, I will give the most exciting performances and render the best of quality in the capacity of an actor. He goes on, starting 1970, I will achieve worldwide fame. And from then onwards till the end of 1980, I will have in my possession $10 million. I will live the way I please and achieve inner harmony and happiness. Dated January 1969. Just over four years later, he would be dead. And actually in a a twist of cruel irony, the film that would launch him into international stardom was released just a month after his death. Enter the Dragon was released on August 19th, 1973. Enter the Dragon is often (coughs) touted as perhaps the greatest martial arts movie ever made. But Bruce Lee, he never got to savor or experience the stardom and wealth that he so craved and would have been his Had he not died so unexpectedly? Why am I talking to you about Bruce Lee? Other than the fact that I'm a martial arts fan. Well, what Bruce Lee's untimely death so tragically and powerfully illustrates is exactly what James is talking about today in the scripture that we just read. James, he says in verses 13 and 14, now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this city or that, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Well, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You were a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Now, while Bruce Lee made an incredible impact on the martial arts world and left a legacy, ultimately his life was a mist. It appeared for 32 brief years, and then he was gone. He was full of plans and ambitions, as that letter shows us. But ultimately, all his grand plans and ambitions, they, they came to nothing. Fact is, though, that most of us are not really that different from Bruce Lee, are we? I mean, other than the, the eight-pack, maybe. I mean, you know, we might not be aspiring to be the world's biggest movie star or to be a multi-millionaire, but how many of us plan our days and our weeks and our months and our years? How many of us plan our career paths, where, where we are to live, where we're going to go to school, who we will marry? How many of us do those things without asking the simple question, God, is this your will for my life? How many of us do those things without even considering God in the mix, without even inviting God into the conversation? James invites us to think about that. Have you checked in with God first about this decision you're about to make or this action you're about to take? You know, you're about to buy a house or a car. Have you brought it before the Lord and asked him, is, is this your will for my life? You've been offered a job that pays twice what you're earning. Seems like a no-brainer. Must be from the Lord, right? But if you ask the Lord, is this your will for my life? You know, recently the the actor Chris Tucker, he turned down a movie role that would have paid him 10 to 12 million dollars because of his Christian faith. He said he didn't want to cuss and smoke weed on camera anymore. That's an example of a man living out his faith for real and a man who is asking God, is this your will for my life? Would we do the same? 10 to 12 million dollars. Just a little cussing, a little smoking weed. It's just acting, right? I think of all the good you could do with that 10 million dollars, right? Give a nice check to the church. question is, is that your will for my life? And Chris Tucker came before the Lord, asked that question, and obviously the Lord said no. And he was a man of integrity. James is also calling us to reflect on the the fragility and the unpredictability of life. I mean, take this pandemic that we're still in. If I had said to you, January 2020, Happy New Year, folks. Excited for what the Lord's going to do. Just a heads up, a couple of months from now, the doors of the churches around the country will be closed. You'll all be wearing face masks and looking suspiciously at one another. Would you believe me? No, you'd probably be looking for another pastor. But, you know, the pandemic aside, we've, we've all been rocked, haven't we, by hearing about the sudden death of someone that we knew. Just, I mean, tragically, Christian's death that we just heard about last night. I I heard about last night. But that happens a lot. We will hear about somebody who's died and we find ourselves saying things like, I just saw her last week and she seemed fine. My world was, was rocked when I was 14 years old and my dad had a stroke completely out of the blue. My neighbor found him unconscious in our driveway at 10.30 at night. He arrived at the hospital virtually brain dead. My family was told he probably wasn't going to make it. Six days later, he awoke from a coma, virtually unscathed. No paralysis, no cognitive loss, just a bit of glaucoma in his left eye. And if you want to talk about the power of prayer, this is for another message, but there was a lot, a lot of prayer going out for my father. We had a whole convent of nuns paying for him. It's like, you know, um, I have no question that it was the power of prayer that carried my father through that. But it rocked my world. The day before, 14-year-old Dan was going about life. Wasn't wasn't even a possibility that my father may be dead the following day. You get diagnosed with a a serious illness, or or a friend of yours, a family member does, or a a terminal illness out of the blue, and your whole world is rocked. Your whole sense of the predictability of life is shaken to the core. And you start to realize nothing is certain in life. Nothing is a given, except, of course, God. James, he reminds us that. He, He reminds us why you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. And I love how the message paraphrases this. It says, you don't know the first thing about tomorrow. Because we think we do, but we don't. We can we can make various predictions, right? Like tomorrow, you're, we're all presuming, God willing, we're going to wake up. We'll brush our teeth. We'll have breakfast. You might head out to work. whatever. We can sort of predict what tomorrow might look like. But ultimately, we don't know what tomorrow will look like. We don't know if we're going to get into a car wreck. Every time we get into our car, but it's a possibility. But we can't live like that, can we? We can't be living with what-ifs all the time. You don't know the first thing about tomorrow. And you know, didn't Jesus say the same thing? But he was relating it to worry and anxiety. Jesus in Matthew 6.34, he says, Therefore do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. So Jesus is saying, don't worry about tomorrow because you don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. Now, this is not all to say that we shouldn't bother planning for the future. That's, that's not what I'm trying to say. There's a, there's a wisdom and a maturity to doing that, to saving, thinking of, you know, things for retirement, planning, all that. That is, that is why stewardship of the resources that God has given you. But to do all that without asking the question, God, is this your will for my life? That's the error that James is cautioning us against making. Because making plans without God is foolishness. You know, Jesus highlights this very clearly. In the parable of what's called the parable of the rich fool. And I want us to turn in our Bibles um, to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, beginning at verse 16. And that's going to be in the Pew Bibles, page 845. 845. Luke 12, beginning in verse 16. you fool this very night your life will be demanded from you then he will get what you have prepared for yourself this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards god you fool doing is thinking about yourself and your plans and your ambitions and what you can do and not for a second are you consulting the Lord and saying is this your will for my life it's worth pointing out here though that there's definitely a connection here in both Jesus' parable and what we read in James of pursuing wealth and fortunes instead of or in place of pursuing God if pursuit of money and ambition and heading up the career chain and all that, if that is above God, then you have disordered desires and it's a form of idolatry. There's nothing wrong with having ambition and wanting to do well in your job and all that, as long as it does not supersede your relationship with God. We must pursue God. And one of the most important things we can pursue is his will for our lives. Because without God, as Our lives are, as James says, little more than a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Now, James, as always, being Mr. Practical, he gives us the practical solution on how we should live. And in verse 15, he says, instead, so he begins with instead. So what he's saying is, instead of living this way, where it's all about me, it's all about keeping up with the Joneses, it's all about the dollars. Instead, you ought to say, If it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. And again, I like how the message paraphrases this. It says, instead, make a habit to say, if the master wills it and we're still alive, we'll do this or that. I like that because it says, make a habit to say, if the master wills it and we're still alive, we'll do this or that, right? So we have to make this a habit, We have to make it a habit of asking, Lord, is this will your will for my life? We have to make it a a way of life. A way of life of bringing God into the conversation about the decisions we make in our lives. Because ultimately our lives belong to Him. You know, if you're married, you don't make any significant decisions without bringing your spouse into the conversation and discussing and consulting. Or at least you shouldn't if you want a happy marriage. <clears throat> well, God is above and more important than your marriage. He's number one. God God plays second fiddle to nobody. Your spouse, your children. God is always, always number one. And he's more important. And so, you know, if you keep your spouse in the mix, then we always have to have him in the mix. And to yield Our will to his. To be willing to say, God, your plans, not my plans. So now the obvious question then becomes, well, how can I discern God's will for my life? It's, it's the age old question. How, how do I know? Is this, is, is this okay with God? Is it, is this God's will for my life? How can we do that? Well, I want to give you four, four steps to discerning God's will for your life. There's certainly more than four that people have developed, but I think there's four essential steps here. And if you follow these steps, I really believe that God will speak to you and you will have peace about the decisions you make. So step number one, pray. It might seem obvious, but make a habit of praying before you make a decision. Bring the matter before God and ask him if it is your his will for you. Remember what James said all the way back in chapter one, verse five. He said this: if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. So pray. Ask God. Ask him to speak to you, ask him to confirm with a sign. And all we're doing here is imitating Jesus. Because Jesus would pray regularly before making major decisions. He prayed all night before choosing the 12 disciples. He prayed before he rose Lazarus from the dead. He prayed before his crucifixion, your will be done, not mine. And notice also that often the gospel tells us that Jesus would withdraw to a solitary or a secluded place. We would do well to do that as well because it's important that we get away from the distractions of the world when we're trying to seek God's will about something. Get alone with God, pray, and if necessary, fast as well. One of the things fasting will do is bring a spiritual clarity, if you stick with it, that you don't get otherwise. So that's the first step, pray. And fast if necessary. Secondly, go to scripture. Go to the Bible. Does your decision or action somehow contradict what we find in scripture? Because if it does in any way, that's that's a sure sign that this is not God's will for your life. All right? Does it, does, does it involve you having to lie or to be dishonest? Does it involve taking advantage of someone else? Does it contradict or seem in opposition to God's character and goodness? This, this book that God has given us um, can often be used as a litmus test for our lives. So pray, gauge it against scripture. Thirdly, seek the counsel of other believers. If you're a believer sitting here today or you are watching at home, you have the Holy Spirit living in you. That means you have godly wisdom that God can use you to share with others. God can speak through any of us and often does. And, you know, it's one of the reasons that it's so, so important to be part of a church community. You know, this pandemic has really kind of uh, separated the wheat from the chaff in one way. There's There's been a pruning. There have been people who've dropped off and don't really go to church anymore. Other people have renewed their commitment to the church. But one thing that is so important is to be part of a church community because we all need to be surrounded by other believers And to regularly have their input and counsel in our lives. The world has its wisdom, and there's things we can take from the world, but without that God perspective, we will never get the full counsel of God. And you know, Christianity, that the way of Jesus, is not an individualistic religion. It cannot be done alone. Just me and God. No, that is a a perversion of Western individualism. Christianity cannot be done alone. It has to be done in community and relationships with others. God designed it and us that way. And one of the common ways that God will speak to us and confirm things is through others in the body of Christ. I can't tell you how many times I've had a confirmation or an an affirmation from, from any number of you, this church or other churches I've been at, it made me realize, wow, that was that was from God. We we had one of those instances at prayer on Wednesday, didn't we? Liz got a very specific confirmation about something. She'd have never known that if she had not come to prayer that night. So pray, gauge it against Scripture, seek the counsel of other believers, and then fourthly, look for the fruits of the Spirit. Look for the fruits of the Spirit, especially love, joy, and peace. Peter Kreeft um, put it this way. He said, If we are angry and anxious and worried, loveless and joyless and peaceless, we have no right to say we are sure of being securely in God's will. You will feel and sense the fruit of the Spirit if this is a good decision for you, if this is a godly decision. If you're full of anxiety and restlessness and, 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 and just don't, don't feel good about it, you're worried, you're joyless, that's a fair sign that this may not be God's will for your life. But I believe if you take those steps, pray, scripture, counsel, and fruit. If you take those steps, God will answer you. And he'll give you wisdom about choosing his will for your life. Um, because he's faithful. He's faithful. And he sees the efforts we make. Now, having said all that, sometimes we can, we can tie ourselves up in knots of anxiety, like, I, I don't, is this God's will? Is it not? I don't know what to do. And we, and we can get paralyzed, right? Thinking, I, uh, you know, what, what what do I do here? I don't I don't want to offend God, but I, I really have no clarity about this. Well. There's something important to remember here, and it's that sometimes there can be multiple choices that can all be aligned with God's will for you. Yeah, so sometimes it's not a case of, all right, you have to choose A over B. Sometimes it can be A or B is fine. We have to realize that too, that it's not always every decision we will make is black or white. God will honor our efforts, to follow him and to discern his will, even when we do it imperfectly. What James is warning against, though, is having an an arrogant or a a cocky or a presumptuous attitude about life, that it's all about you and you can make whatever decisions you like and that it's all going to go according to plan because I got it figured out. That's why James in verse 16, he says, as it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If you remember the the letter that Bruce Lee wrote to himself, there was exactly that boastful, self-independent, arrogant spirit. Listen again, what he says, starting 1970, I will achieve world fame and from then onwards till the end of 1980, I will have in my possession $10 million. I will live the way I please and achieve inner harmony and happiness. Isn't that interesting that he thought those things would give him inner harmony and happiness. James lastly here, he tells us that ignoring God's will for our life and not seeking his will for our lives actually amounts to sin. Verse 17, if anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. The right thing to do is always be seeking God's will for our lives always keeping God in the conversation and to be obedient to his will. That's that's the good we ought to do. When we don't, we sin. So as we wrap up here, I just again, I want to remind you of those four steps to discerning God's will. Pray, scripture, seek the counsel of other believers and look for the fruits of the spirit. And I want to leave you with a prayer that the author of the book of Hebrews gave us. It's Hebrews chapter 13, verses 20 to 21. Now may the God of peace, through the blood of the eternal covenant, brought back from the dead, our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.